Thank you for listening to this audio message from Christ Fellowship Leesville. We exist to make disciples for the glory of Jesus. We pray God uses this message to help you grow in your walk with Christ. To learn more about Christ Fellowship, please visit us online at ChristFellowshipNC.org. Good morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, if you will open it with me to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And while you're turning there, if we have children in our midst, I would dismiss you at this time to go to the back for your time in God's Word with the children. So you'll be dismissed back there with the volunteers. The rest of us will go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to read the entire chapter this morning. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. 
And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. So let's go to him now in prayer as we always do and ask for his help to discern his word this morning. Father, we come before you with glad and grateful hearts for the reason we are here is because you have gathered us here and you have given us one of the greatest treasures any of us could ever possess, your very word. So I pray for me and I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning, your church. May you guide me in the words that I say that you would protect from error, that your truth would come through all of your word this morning to us, that you would grant to all of us open hearts, listening ears, seeing eyes. Whatever we carried into this church with us, whatever might be on our minds beyond this time together, may you put a precious pulse to it and let us be right here, right here at your feet to hear what you would speak to us this morning. And I pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. We love you. Amen. Well, one of the many reasons I'm excited that we get to be in 1 Samuel and study through it is because this is a story. And most of you know, I really love stories. C.S. Lewis once wrote that stories have a way of sneaking past those watchful dragons that are around our hearts. And what he meant by that was that we have defenses that you and I set up in our hearts against truth, against truth that would transform us from the inside out. Stories have a way of getting past those defenses. Perhaps that's why the Chronicles of Narnia are still some of the greatest treasures of stories for me to read because I hear truth about God every single time I read them in fresh ways. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he describes this castle by the ocean that the four Pevensey children live in when they've become kings and queens in Narnia. I want to read that description that he wrote because Lewis does a very curious thing at the end of it. The castle of Ker Paraval on its little hill towered up above them. Before them were the sands with rocks and little pools of salt water and seaweed and the smell of the sea and long miles of bluish green waves breaking forever and ever on the beach. And then Lewis just looks straight at the reader with this next line that he says, and oh, the cry of the seagulls. Have you heard it? Can you remember? If this were my literature class, I would tell you as students, let's close our books, let's go for a long walk, and let's think about what he said. Let's think about that line. Clearly, it was something of a memory for Lewis himself, a longing, an ache, a desire. I'd like to borrow it and apply it to our passage this morning in this way. Oh, the word of the Lord. Have you heard it? Can you remember? 
When someone mentions the word of the Lord to you, does it stir a memory in you, a longing, an ache, a desire? We don't know who wrote 1 Samuel, but if it was Samuel, might he have been stirred at the memory of the story he was writing? Perhaps this story was included for just such a purpose that we would have a longing in our hearts that leads to treasuring and responding to God's word. So the main idea I want you to get this morning is this, that the word of the Lord calls us to a response. We're either going to reject it and experience his judgment and death, or we will listen to it and treasure it and experience salvation, transformation, and life. So as we go through this passage this morning, instead of working our way through it chronologically, I want to focus our attention on four characters. Three of them are very obvious in the story, and the fourth is the one who this story is leading us to. So our outline this morning will be as follows. Point number one, we're going to look at the holy word of the Lord. Number two, we're going to see the blinded eyes of Eli. Number three, we're going to look at the listening ears of Samuel. And number four, we're going to look at the leading whisper of Jesus. So let's start with point one, the holy word of the Lord. And we're going to see many characteristics of God's word in this story. In verse one, you're going to see that the word of the Lord is rare in a culture swimming in sin. It says there in the second half, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Let's remember what those days is referring to. It's referring to the time in history right around the uh, time of the judges of Israel. And the last verse of Judges tells us that in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The state of Israel was one of sin, spiritual chaos, and darkness. And as Jonathan has highlighted for us in previous chapters, the spiritual leadership of Israel was just a moral abomination. It wasn't that they didn't have God's word, they did, but the word of the Lord, particularly through the prophets, was rare because of their sin. It's sadly the state of the world we live in, and even sadder, it's the state of many of our churches. And as an aside, let me once again express our profound gratitude to Jonathan Brooks. You've been so faithful in preaching and teaching the scriptures to us. By God's grace, brother, the word of the Lord has not been rare in this church. You've made it our steady, satisfying diet and pleasure. We are so grateful for you. Let's look at verse 3. And in verse 3, we see that the word of the Lord is always shining. You see there, the first line, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. I don't know that the author of the story intended this, but the picture that lies before us is that of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. That verse illuminates the entire story of the scripture for us. Here's what it says. The earth was without form and void, 
and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Israel in its sin and rebellion was dark, formless, chaotic waters where no life, no purpose could flourish. But over those dark, chaotic waters, the Spirit of God was present, hovering, a light ready to make a new creation. And you see there in verse three, there's three features here represented with God. It's the lamp of God, the temple of the Lord, the ark of God. They all in some way signify God's holy presence, his light and his goodness forever shining on his covenant people. You see, the, the lamp in the temple was meant to be this perpetual light shining on the table of showbread, 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. It was a symbol of God forever shining his light and his presence upon them. And the author highlights here that the lamp of God's light had not gone out yet. Though the people of Israel had abandoned their God and run into the darkness, his light shone upon them still. And that's a sign for us too, isn't it? That though the word of the Lord may be rare in our culture, its light hasn't gone out. It hasn't been extinguished. It shines. And the promise is that light will endure for all eternity. Let's look at verse 7. And there we see that the word of the Lord is a gift of God's revealing. It says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Well, why not? He's in the presence of the Lord. He's ministering before the Lord. Why, why does he not know? The verse tells us that the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Let's always remember that spiritual sight and hearing that leads to an intimate knowledge and relationship with Yahweh are God's gracious gifts to us. They are not owed. Our culture is completely blind and deaf to his word. The enemy darkens hearts and minds so that they cannot see, they cannot hear. And such was the case for all of us in the darkness of our sin. It's a supernatural work of God to reveal his word to whom he chooses as a gift, as a mercy. His mercy really is more, isn't it? May we not take this for granted, church, if we ever perceive and hear the word of the Lord, it's his kind gift of favor to us, and we should treasure it. Then you see in verse 10 that the word of the Lord is tenderly persistent in calling children to himself. And even before verse 10, throughout this story, the Lord calls to Samuel four times. He's not in a hurry. His word is a patient word. When you and I think of ourselves needing to have patience with someone, that usually comes across as a drudgery and a chore. And we just want to get whatever we got to do with them over with. But isn't the patience of the Lord always a delight to read and experience for ourselves? You can see it. He is so tender with Samuel. 
He keeps pursuing until he gets the response he desires and deserves. And he's patient with us too. He lets his word do the slow work of change in our hearts over time. Then if we look to verses 11 through 14, we'll see that the word of the Lord is clear and determined in its judgment of sin. Great storytellers know how to build suspense for the listeners and readers. The author has certainly done that for us. He's built that up for us. We're just clamoring like, okay, okay, we get it. The Lord's calling. Samuel's not getting it. Come on, Samuel, get it. We want to know, what is it that the Lord has to say to Samuel? And the message isn't encouraging. Uh, We're not running out of here today putting these verses on our coffee mugs for inspiration in the morning, okay? This is, uh, this is once again a message of judgment on Eli and his house. It's something that will make everyone's two ears tingle as though the, the story of it, the news of it, will be all around them where they can't miss it. Notice in verse 12, he will fulfill his word from beginning to end. When the Lord makes a promise, he will see to it that it is completed. We can count on him to fulfill his word. But we also see in the next few verses that the word of the Lord exposes people for what they are. It's that two-edged sword that Hebrews chapter four tells us about that just pierces into the heart and discerns everything. Eli knew his son's iniquity, their crooked behavior, and blasphemy of the Lord as his priest. He did nothing to restrain them. God hasn't misread the situation. No, his judgment reveals the heart, and he clearly sees the depravity that is there. And then if you look at verse 14, we get the ultimate condemnation. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Eli and his sons were high priests and priests to God most high, representing him to all of Israel. They were the ones who were supposed to then be representing Israel back to God by offering up sacrifices and offerings on behalf of those people to atone for their iniquity. And as we've clearly seen in our study thus far, that was not happening. So God declares now there will be no atonement, no sacrifice, no offering to pardon the house of this high priest. Eli and his sons would not experience any of the mercy we just sang about. It should be noted that this is the second message that the Lord has for Eli and his house. When God gives his word twice in the scriptures, such as through the dreams of Joseph and Pharaoh, it's a sign of divine determination. His word is true. His judgment of sin is sure. This is going to happen. And for those of us who would reject the word of the Lord, Be sure that he will judge your sin and he will do it with perfect justice and righteousness. It will happen. So here before us in this passage is the word of the Lord and it's at work in multiple ways through the story, but it comes to two different individuals, two different characters. And they set before us a choice. 
how will we respond to the holy word of the Lord? And that leads us to our next character and his response, Eli. So let's look at point number two, the blinded eyes of Eli. In verse two, you'll see that refusal to heed God's word leads to blindness. So it says that at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. The biblical authors don't really give us uh, much description of the characters in the story in terms of their physical details. So when we get them, that's usually something we should pay attention to. There's more going on there. Because knowing or not knowing that Eli's sight is failing him, it doesn't really change the narrative. So why include it? Well, it's almost a play on words with verse 1. Because in those days, there was no frequent vision. And the man who's supposed to have the clearest vision of Yahweh and Israel cannot see. It's a metaphor for his spiritual state. When spiritual leaders fail to seek the Lord, they fail to listen to the word of the Lord, they become spiritually blind. And look at the phrasing used for a sight. It grew dim. When we refuse the word of the Lord, we're refusing the light of God himself. And that leads to moral darkness, disorder, groping in our blindness because we just can't see reality clearly anymore. Jump over to verses 15 and 17. You'll see that refusal to heed God's word. So Samuel comes back with this vision. He doesn't want to tell Eli But Eli goes to the point of threatening this young boy. He's calling a curse of sorts down upon him if he doesn't tell him what God told Samuel. And at this point, hopefully our response is, exactly how much lower can this high priest go? He doesn't want to obey the word of the Lord, and yet he demands to know what God is up to. So he forces it out of this boy's mouth, only really to continue to resist what what it is when it's spoken. How often do you and I approach God's word that way? We demand that he reveal himself to us only to resist him when he does. When he gives us clear direction, we push him off. That's selfishness. That's self-centeredness. And selfishness is a black hole you and I will never fill. And the deeper we go into it, the further from the Lord we become. And then if you look at verse 18, we'll see that refusal to heed God's word leads to destructive apathy. So Samuel doesn't hold back. Eli gets the full version of what God told him. And what is Eli's response in verse 18? It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now, this might seem like an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty, and some commentators put it that way. I don't think it is. I think it's far from it. Because we learn more by seeing what is missing from his response than what is in it. Eli is the high priest of Israel. If there is anyone who should be pleading for him and his sons, it should be Eli. If there's anyone who should be 
full of repentance at this moment, it should be this man. Why aren't his ears tingling? Why is he not pleading for mercy and forgiveness? Why isn't he begging the Lord to spare his sons from this judgment? Because he's no longer bearing God's image. In fact, he's now framing God after his own image. And what is that image according to the book of Judges? Do whatever is right in your own eyes. The Lord can do whatever seems good to him. Eli has fashioned God to be like him, so he is completely unaltered in any way by the word of the Lord. The Lord can do what he wants. I'll keep doing what I want. Eli's response should terrify us if we have ever found ourselves in a similar place with God's word. He was completely incapable of repentance because of his apathy. Have you refused to heed the word of the Lord? Are you apathetic when you hear it? Are you shaping Yahweh after your own image instead of the other way around? That's the road to death, destruction, and judgment. I would plead with you this morning, do not resist the word of the Lord and find no chance for repentance and mercy because that's where Eli was. So God is absolutely finished with the house of Eli. He's done. But just like Genesis 1, he's about to start a new creation work and he's going to do it in a little boy's heart. And that takes us to the next character, Samuel. So let's look at point number three, the listening ears of Samuel. When you look at the narrative between verses four through nine, if this wasn't, uh, let me point out to you first that what we see in these verses is a humble response to the word of the Lord. If it wasn't for the seriousness of the message, we would actually find the sequence of events quite comical that Samuel just can't quite determine what is going on with this voice that keeps calling his name. So his, his response is misplaced, but it's consistent. He says over and over, here I am. That's three words in English, but it's one word in ancient Hebrew. He says, Hineni, Hineni. You know, even in Hebrew, it sounds like the childlike response that any parent would want to hear from their child when they call their name. And it's also the response that many characters in the story of the Bible use when Yahweh calls their name. Abraham said it when the Lord told him to offer up Isaac. Jacob said it when the Lord appeared to him as he journeyed down into Egypt to see his long thought dead son, Joseph. Moses said it as he approached that burning bush. Isaiah said it in that temple vision of God's glory. It's the biblical author's way of telling us, here, here is someone who will listen to the word of the Lord. When we hear the word of the, the, word of the Lord, do we say, Hanani, here I am. Do we respond in childlike humility to his call? If you look at verse 10, we'll also see that there is a passionate desire for the word of the Lord. So Samuel finally responds to the Lord directly. And when he does, he responds as any heart ever should. Speak for your servant hears. There's a lot packed into that simple response. 
Samuel is saying, Yahweh, I'm listening. Please speak. I want to serve. I want to hear and obey what you have to say to me. Do we approach the word of the Lord like this? Do we desire the word of the Lord like this? Do we come to him and his word with that kind of childlike faith? We should passionately desire God's word in such a way that it isn't just the opening of the text as a habit. It's an opening with a desire that we respond with obedience. And then if you look at the final verses, verses 19 through 21, we'll see the powerful transformation of the word of the Lord. And in these verses, we see a stark contrast between Eli and Samuel. Samuel, he's, he's different and because his response to God's word is different. And when we come to God's word with both humility and with passion for obedience, the Lord transforms us into different people, set apart people, people that bear his image. So look at verse 19. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. So just like Samuel was dwelling in the house of the Lord, now the Lord is making his dwelling with Samuel. And what was the proof of that? The second half tells us that none of his words fell to the ground. It's a Hebrew turn of phrase to say, he spoke the truth and it always came to pass. He was trustworthy. When you and I are so permeated with the word of the Lord and the presence of the Lord, that has a significant impact on our words, our thoughts, our actions, our lives. And because the Lord's word is trustworthy, when we treasure it, we become trustworthy. Look at verse 20. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Everyone knew that the Lord had done this work in him. The word of the Lord was revealed to Samuel, and now it was being revealed through Samuel to all the people of Israel, from Dan in the north all the way to Beersheba in the south. Is the word of the Lord so life-changing for us that everyone around you and me knows we belong to him, that just like Hannah lent Samuel to the Lord, our hearts and lives They're yours, God. Does the world around us see that? Do they see something so distinct in us apart from the chaotic, sinful culture that we're in? Can they see that we've been set apart to the Lord? And then finally, look at verse 21. The Lord appeared again at Shiloh. It's the perfect bookend to the story in this chapter because in the beginning of the story, the word of the Lord The word of the Lord was rare. The light was dim, it hadn't gone out, but here the Lord appears again. He reveals himself to Samuel because here he's found someone who listens and responds when he speaks. That's the Lord's desire for us, church. He wants little boy and little girl hearts that trust him so his glory might be revealed through us. What might he do through such a heart? What might he do in us and through us 
if we were transformed by his word in this way. There's so much for us to gain from this story, but perhaps the most needful thing for us to gain is who this story, and in fact, every story of the Hebrew scriptures is leading us to, Jesus. And that takes us to our fourth point, the leading whisper of Jesus. There in verse 21, isn't it interesting how this passage ends? The Lord reveals himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. It's almost as if the word of the Lord is a separate character. And perhaps here, if we're listening, we can hear the whisper of Jesus. John's gospel account tells us in chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the ultimate word of the Lord. He is the fullest expression of his identity, his character, and his heart. He is both one with the Father and distinct from the Father. Later in that chapter, John writes, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Just as the Lord dwelt with Samuel, so Jesus dwelt or tabernacled with us. He goes by that name Emmanuel, which means God with us, God with us. And what did Jesus do as the word made flesh? He taught the word of the kingdom everywhere he went. He called people to listen to the father. He said things like, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He saw spiritual blindness in the people. He told religious leaders that because they claimed to see, their sin and blindness remained. And is it any wonder that as he's going around teaching in all of these towns and villages, that he would come up to the deaf and the blind and make it where they could hear and they could see. Jesus was seeking the childlike faith of Samuel amongst the lost sheep of Israel. He said, my sheep, yeah, they hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. For three years, Jesus proclaimed the word of the Lord to any who had the humble hearts to listen. But our sin and death are really strong. They need to be defeated. And Jesus did that. He defeated them by letting them do their worst to him. Jesus died on a cross in the place of sinners like you and me who didn't want to listen, who didn't want to hear, who rebelled against our God. And hallelujah, three days later, he arose again from the dead. He rose again full of life and new creation. Church, the cross and the empty tomb are the final word of the Lord, that his word is true, that his light and his love for us will not go out, that he will one day dwell again with his people when he makes all things new in the new heavens and the new earth. We can't wait, can we? Because in that day, Isaiah chapter two, verse three will come to pass. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, 
to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Those of us who have responded to Jesus and his free gift of grace through his death and his resurrection will one day forever enjoy the eternal word of the Lord. So let's go into a time of response. And as we respond this morning, let me leave you with a few ways you can do so. The word of the Lord may be calling you to salvation in Christ from sin, from your sin against him. It may be calling you this morning to greater sanctification from sin. It may be calling you to deeper service to him for his glory and his kingdom to build up his church. And it really boils down to a choice. Will you and I respond to the word of the Lord like Eli or will we respond like Samuel? If you respond like Eli, you're choosing the fattening riches of sin that leave you hungry, empty, poor, cold, and ultimately dead apart from Christ. You are choosing dark, chaotic, purposeless existence. You are choosing his judgment over his mercy. Please don't make that choice. I plead with you that we would respond like Samuel and we would say, Hanini, here I am, Lord. I'm listening. I need your word. I need your salvation. I need your transformation. I want to serve you and to listen and obey your word is my greatest desire because Jesus is my greatest treasure. He's the wellspring of my soul. Oh, the word of the Lord. Have you heard it? Can you remember? May the Lord grant us such an ache and longing for his word that we would listen to him, we would obey him, we would follow him wherever he leads, whenever we hear it. Let's pray. Good God and heavenly father, we thank you that hundreds and thousands of years ago, you saw the darkness of your people and you didn't abandon them. You called this little boy's name and you called him to yourself. And we sit here knowing and are grateful that in the darkness of our sin, the word of the Lord has come to us. You've called our name and you called, a, you called our name to let us know you love us. You sent your son for us. He died for us. He rose again for us. And now we have this, your precious word calling. May we respond this morning. Here I am, Lord. Speak. Your servant hears. Give us passionate, humble hearts to be transformed by you for the glory of Jesus, the glory of his kingdom, the glory of eternity that you are calling us into. And we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. We love you. Amen.